0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cinema Joes, the podcast where three average Joes discuss the significant topics in movie culture. My name is Justin Mancini. I am one of your co-hosts here, and I'm very happy to introduce one of my other co-hosts. He is the podcast editor for ThePopBreak.com. He is also one of the co-hosts of the TV Break podcasts for ThePopBreak.com, Alex Marcus. Hello, Alex.
1: Ah, hello. This is me with my MCU-approved Russian accent. What do you
0: think? <laughs> I don't know. It might be uh I think you might be uh, schooling some of the people in the movie to be honest. <laughs> it's almost a little too good. Um <laughs> I will not be attempting a Russian accent on this podcast cuz no one wants to hear that. Um but I I appreciate that. Uh <laughs> It's very good to be back with you. Um Unfortunately, we do not have our other regular co-host with us, Noah France. He's unable to join us for this episode. But we do have a returning guest in his stead. Uh, He actually was on uh, one of our episodes where we talked to guests about their favorite movies. He selected Moulin Rouge. He is a TV columnist for ThePopBreak.com, writer for TV Source, and co-host of The Chat Podcast, Alan Sarapa. Hello, Alan. Hello. Uh, it's good to actually be like on a podcast with you. I've heard a few with you on, <laughs> with you on them, uh, but this is the first time I've had the chance to meet you, albeit <laughs> in a in virtual form.
2: Yes, let me talk to you. I, yeah, it's ha- happy to be here.
0: Yeah, well, we're very happy to have you. Um, I really enjoyed the Moulin Rouge episode, which I alluded to earlier. Uh, with the two of you, it's it definitely made me think I need to revisit that movie, especially because when I saw it like more than a decade ago. Um, I did not like musicals, and um, I don't think that's fair to something especially like Moulin Rouge. <laughs> so uh, now that I have opened my mind significantly, I definitely think it's due for a revisit. And uh, I was very, I was very uh, entertained uh, by uh, your both of your thoughts on that film. So um, yeah, so this uh, we're gonna actually be talking. Well, I guess something with a similar amount of spectacle. I guess you could say <laughs> maybe <laughs> slightly different content. Um, we are going to be discussing Black Widow, the recent uh, Marvel film directed by Kate Shortland, starring Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow. Um, This was very much long overdue, even before it was delayed a year, (laughs) eventually. Um, And it's something that certainly I've been looking forward to for a long time. And uh, it was definitely one of those movies I was looking forward to seeing in the theater. And I did actually get a chance to do that. So, uh, But we'll talk all about that later. Uh, I'm sure we have uh, a lot of things to get into. Typically on this podcast, we start with a our full disclosure segment, where we discuss uh, recent things we've been watching, apart from the film that is our featured review of that episode. And then we'll discuss uh, a larger topic uh, later on in the episode uh, related to that movie release, And so this time we're going to be talking kind of about the the future of Marvel, especially in light of events in Black Widow. Uh, There certainly is a lot teased, especially in that post-credits stinger, um, one that I definitely had to explain to my parents with them not having seen Falcon the Winter Soldier, but we'll get into that, I'm sure. (laughs) So we'll start off here with, uh, like I mentioned, our full disclosure segment, where we talk about what we've been watching. And uh, since you are our guest, Alan, I wanted to start with you. Uh, what have you been watching recently that you'd like to discuss?
2: I just finished Dr. Death on Peacock, and it was great. It's based on, you know, that podcast, that Wondery podcast about Christopher Dunch, who maimed and killed multiple patients. Yeah, it's great. This whole, the surgery scenes play played like horror scenes. It is actually scarier than anything I've seen in the horror film in years. It's, oh wow uh, yeah it's terrifying what do you <laughs> smashing the mallet on the freaking spines it's ugh, but it's great
0: and is this uh i'm not i'm not familiar with this what uh did you say where you watched this on peacock oh peacock so, sorry it's
2: a real story because originally they catch jamie dornan as christopher dunch Unsh- but they're scheduling how so they got they got joshua jackson in the role he looks mm-hmm. more like the real Christopher Jones better casting because Jamie Dornan, he's a good actor, but he's very hot. He's too hot to be playing that role. <laughs> because you do not if you see the real Christopher real Christopher Dunch, he's a fat guy in his fifties or well, early fifties now, but it's not Jamie Dornan. Josh <laughs> Josh is nice. still hot, but he's more everman hot.
0: <laughs> so so wow. it's not like a Ted Bundy situation. This is definitely... Well Ted Bundy
2: actually wasn't hot. You look at pictures of Ted Bundy <laughs> He's not actually hot. He's just, I guess, he's not totally unfuckable, but he wasn't really hot. He was just like not as ugly as John Wayne Gacy or something like that.
1: I guess so it's all relative. That's what that standard, I
2: guess. Ted Bundy's yeah. hot.
1: <laughs> yeah. Serial killers, I guess, run on a sliding scale of attractiveness. It's, um. So this this show, it's who else is in it other than uh, Joshua Jackson?
2: Well, the doctors are going after Mr. Doctor, played by Christian Slater and Alex oh. Baldwin. Oh, oh wow. Have you heard her cast? And Carrie Preston plays Christopher Jackson's defense attorney, and Anna Sophia Robb is the prosecutor.
1: Oh, that's really fun. I haven't seen her since she was, like, playing teenagers, so how is she in an (laughs) an, an adult role? She's good. She's
2: playing, like, her—the prosecutor's a, like, perky, upbeat person, so you don't really see that in prosecutors on TV, but apparently the real person is actually like that in real life. Huh. Oh, so okay. is
1: it like a legal procedural, or like you just run through the whole story, like him killing people and then him going to jail for it?
2: Yeah, you go. You start with him. There's flashbacks to him earlier in his life, but the story is told from him maiming and killing the patients.
1: Is it very
0: graphic? Like, are we talking like Hannibal type sort of gore? Or are we? Or you is it more subdued? You do see stupid? a bit
2: of bone and him taking stuff out. So yeah, okay.
1: Yikes.
0: All right, yeah, <laughs> just,
1: just maiming these so, people doing something he's not supposed to be doing to these people, right? So, right. Not not Sunday morning material.
2: <laughs> if you like true crime and you like stuff like that, watch it
1: definitely that's cool i peacock's been doing pretty well with comedies lately but i feel like they've really struggled to launch a drama since they started last summer so but this one's definitely getting a lot of good buzz i've heard i've heard from a number of places that it's it's one to check out is it long is there like a lot of episodes or is it is it a short it's series episodes. so it's quick binge
0: oh, oh okay. okay and is this i i maybe i sorry i may have missed this but is this more of like a limited series or
2: yeah it's a limited series
0: oh, but gotcha.
2: like there is a second season of Doctor S podcast. It's about that doctor who gave people chemo and said only well, we had cancer but he didn't have cancer. So maybe you'll oh, do a spin god. off of that one. I don't know.
0: Wow. So that sounds like they definitely have the material to for, yeah, do
2: almost an like an source. anthology. What's that up, you have heard about? that. It's, ugh, that's yeah. awful. Oh
1: that, boy. I can't. Oh my god. That's all. I can't even imagine that. Jesus. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh. Did you did you listen to the podcast? Before watching the show? No,
2: I prefer my true crime in TV form. And because I, just listening to it, no. I need to see. I need visuals.
0: <laughs> wow, yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's... It seems like the kind of thing, uh, you need to have the Constitution to... <laughs> to watch but like uh yeah that's that's fascinating I, I i was not familiar with this at all um i didn't realize that's what joshua jackson was doing these days so uh so thank you for that uh recommendation
1: well listen after the affair ended he had to do something
0: all right um let's go to you next alex uh what's been good for you recently
1: sure so i saw two movies yesterday uh and they were of very different quality Um, And content. I wanted to briefly talk about them both. uh, One briefer than the other. Uh, The first is the one, the movie that's on everyone's lips, of course. It's uh, the 1997 uh, independent cinema classic Clock Watchers. Uh, This was directed by Jill Sprecher. Uh, it has an incredibly stacked cast of Tony Collette, Parker Posey, Lisa Kudrow, Alan Ubeck, and uh, Jamie Kennedy, of all people. Also, our, our WandaVision friend Deborah Joe Rupp is in it. Bob Balaban and Steve Dooley have really good small roles. Uh, it's a really, really great film. I don't know, have you guys ever heard of this?
0: No, I've never heard of it. I, I had not. I saw this on your letterbox and I was like, what the heck is that? And I like had to just like double check and make sure it wasn't like clock stoppers. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> yeah, which is a was, very different movie. I'm
0: just like, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had not heard of this until like a week ago when someone on Twitter was like, hey, this movie starring these people is coming to Criterion channel and it's fantastic. Check it out. And I was like, sure, I will do that. That sounds incredible. How have I never heard of this? and uh it is it is incredible it's basically uh this star is tony collette she plays this woman in her like mid-20s who's a little bit adrift she's working as a temp um at this like credit card company of some sort and she meets up with the three ladies that I uh, that I mentioned just a moment ago, who are also temps in the office. And like the ringleader of the of the group is of course Parker Posey playing Parker Posey as she is in most things. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's it's fantastic. It, like it's so like wryly funny, and uh, yet it takes its characters really seriously. Um, and it just like as someone who has had a job like that in the past. Um, And Justin, not to speak out of school, but I know you may have had a job or two like this uh, along the way. Um, I think it's just an incredibly well-observed film where it really talks about kind of like what it's like to be this sort of transient person in an office that where everyone else is sort of building a life around. Um, And just the ways in which you're kind of like anonymous in these settings, the ways in which you can uh kind of group together into a really strong uh like almost like family-esque friend unit and then the ways in which that can suddenly and almost without warning fall apart um because you don't actually know each other as well as you think uh all of those things are just really really fun uh and and just really smartly observed the the basic premise is that like these these women become friends quickly in this setting and then uh, uh, someone else joins as a full-time employee uh, who they don't really like because there is a little bit of a rivalry in terms of like all of them sort of felt like they deserved that spot and then they didn't get it Um, and so they hired someone outside of the temps to, to fill it and then things start going missing in the office and it ends up creating a lot of pressure. Uh, because everyone just assumes that it's one of the temps that are stealing things, um, and so they have to deal with that additional scrutiny over the course of the film. Um, but it's it's just it's very low key. It's really um, it's really smart in how it kind of observes those those workplace uh, dynamics and also that sense when you're kind of you know old enough to have to be thinking about like what you want your life to be but not at all in a place where you can actually have that life. Um, it really it, it's really smart about the way it explores that across the four main women in the in the film. Lisa Kudrow is so of course, funny and also really kind of sad and tragic in this film in a way that I, I feel like especially in 1997 she wasn't getting a chance to do um, and I really really liked to see her. Tony Collette is of course, amazing in it. She's just like perfectly cast as this sort of like wallflower who needs to come out of her shell a little bit. Um, uh, Elena Ubik, who is an actress who I know but couldn't really pinpoint why um, and it turns out she's just been in a million things in, like, smaller roles. She's really great as this uh, a woman who is sort of like she has a fiancé who buys her things all the time but is kind of scummy. And she's kind of just, like, trying to get married and get out of the workforce as soon as she can. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge. Um, and then, of course, Parker Posey, as I said, is playing just, like the kind of most Parker Posey you could be. And uh, she just does it so well as sort of this like um, irreverent sort of ringleader of the group. Um, and yeah, it's really, really good. Uh, Jill Sprecher was a first time director when she made it and, it. and she just gets these like really strong uh, like uh, shots and just like has such a command of tone and pacing. Uh, I, if you watch it on Criterion, there's an 11 minute interview with her after the film that I really recommend checking out. It was really interesting to hear how the film got made. seems like getting the cast involved was like a really huge part of getting it off the ground, especially with her being a first time filmmaker. Um, she was actually a temp, uh, when they got the money to make the film. So she literally left a temp job in order to make a movie about being a temp. So that was really, that was fun. find out um and yeah it's just it's it's a really it's a really fun movie it's I mean it's it it's not a broad comedy at all it's it's not even kind of like even in terms of like those indie comedies from the 90s it would kind of be one of the less uh comedic ones but what it what it lacks in in jokes it makes up for in just like honesty in a way that I really really appreciated.
0: yeah it sounds really fascinating I almost wonder if it would be like too real
1: in in some ways it's yeah, sometimes it definitely was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, think,
1: if you yeah. if you want a movie that's less real, uh, you could definitely head on over to your local cinema or HBO Max and uh, check out Space Jam: A New Legacy, starring LeBron James, uh, Zendaya, and of course Bugs Bunny. Um, saw that movie as well. Uh, it is a steaming pile of garbage it's like one of the worst films i've seen in a very very long time i watched for 20 minutes (laughs) turned it off i went back to dr death (laughs) yeah yeah that was the right decision honestly like (laughs) you definitely shouldn't have sat through the full two hours of this movie which also like why in god's name did this have to be two hours I, i don't understand but yeah it's it's awful i knew i was in trouble when uh the opening scene is about a 12 year old lebron james gets his first game boy on the sidelines of a basketball game Uh, It distracts him for literally two seconds and then apparently is enough to cost them the game. And then a coach tells him, you have a chance to be a once in a generation talent, but first you need to give up video games because they're a waste of time. And so then he throws it in the garbage and then you cut to modern day where it turns out he has a 12 year old son who loves video games even more than basketball. Oh, no. How will we ever bridge this generational divide? Uh, that's basically the whole kind of uh, premise of the movie. Inexplicably, um, I don't know why that was what they settled on, um, but yeah, that's what they did. Uh, and LeBron James, as as good of a comedic scene partner as he was in Trainwreck, um, and as fun as he could be in like commercials and things like that, he is truly terrible as the lead of this movie. Just like incredibly like cardboard acting, just really. Oh. Really not good. Um, just like, oh no, you've kidnapped my son. What should I do? You can't take him. Please give him back to me. Like that's the level of line reading we were working from. Um <laughs> like Alan watches a lot of soap operas and so he has the opportunity to see a lot of really great acting and a lot of not so good acting. And truly, if LeBron James was on like Bolden and Beautiful, they would kick him off. Like that's how bad he Day was. One. No yeah. more <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And not only is the plot stupid and the lead actor bad, it also looks awful. Like it just looks really, really bad. They do this thing where for like a long stretch of the movie, they're kind of in a 2D animated world. And that 2D animation looks like complete garbage. Like it just I don't understand why it looks so bad. And then they go into a 3D animated world. And that somehow looks even worse. It looks like literally just everyone is standing around on a green screen. Like it just I don't understand how they they botched it so much, but they really did. Like when they go into the 3D world, like the bugs and Lola Bunny look like stuffed animals instead of like like animated bunny characters. Like the mm-hmm. textures are all super weird and off and it just it's just really bad. And then like there's this whole like team of basketball players who all have like superpowers for some reason. And I was talking to my boss basketball, um, loving friend and was like, is this like, are these references to like nicknames or something? And in some cases it was like a very kind of weak, uh, reference. Like there was one character who I guess like he's really good in crunch time. And so if he hits like a buzzer beater, he like points to his watch. Um, and so then, of course, they made him a uh, a robot who can control the flow of time, which I feel like is a bit of a stretch um, from that. <laughs> and then other times, it just like, I don't think there was anything connecting what they were talking about, but it's super weird. It's really, really not good. Um, if you've seen the trailer, you know that there's like this big giant basketball scene at the end where like all of... The IP at Warner Brothers are there. That's not the only time that they tap into the Warner Brothers IP in ways that I found really upsetting. Um, it turns out when LeBron gets to Looney Tunes world uh, and needs to find uh, a team of basketball players, uh, he meets up with Bugs Bunny and Bugs Bunny is the only one left because it turns out Don Cheadle, who plays Al G. Rhythm, the Warner Brothers algorithm, um, who is the villain of the film, <laughs> Uh, it turns out that, uh, Rhythm has convinced all of the Looney Tunes to leave Toon World to go to other, um, Warner Brothers-owned IP, and so then in order to collect them, there's, like, a heist, there's, like, a get-the-gang-together sequence where LeBron and Bugs go into all, like, a variety of other Warner Brothers films, um, where, Oh, like dear. the character like where a Looney Tunes character has been subbed out um from the original character. So like you have to like go into Austin Powers and and get Elmer Fudd, who is pretending to be Minimi for example. Um you have to go into the Matrix where where Granny is playing Trinity, uh, <laughs> for example. <What?
2: laughs> I, I,
1: yeah, and you get the opportunity to have like a very, very um, current uh, Matrix uh, joke. <laughs> um, it's so, so bad. Like I just was, sh- I was screaming when I was watching it. I couldn't yeah. believe what I was seeing, and like I was mad. I was like, how are they allowed to do this? This is, I mean, maybe everyone was right, and I should not have been like, yeah, it's okay that a couple of companies own all of uh, all of content now it's like it's it's working okay for us like no it's not this this movie is a great thesis for the antitrust legislation that is like going through Capitol Hill right now um, <laughs> please don't watch it Do, not even out of morbid curiosity like it really isn't worth it it's really bad um, and and yeah just please stay away watch Clock Watchers instead it's great
0: <laughs> I had uh, no plans to watch this <laughs> like I was I I unfortunately against my will I remember seeing some of the trailers for this and just being like what is this like it doesn't even seem like it's like it's with the Looney Tunes but like seeming to just totally dispense with like what people liked about Looney Tunes like it's all just like modern pop culture references I'm just like who wanted this.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know. It has a really really bad kind of sense of what the Looney Tunes characters are and what makes them fun and interesting also. So it's really not even good as far as like a vehicle for Looney Tunes characters and honestly like Looney Tunes characters feel like they're a bit past their prime in the first place. So it's really, it just like, I just don't know who this is for. Uh, certainly wasn't for me. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to be for anyone who wants to watch this or who's listening well, to
2: this podcast. Four days before they started shooting. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably reason why it's bad.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like they had like the original director on this was actually like this really cool guy. Um, I'm, fr- I'm blanking on his name right now. But he he created this um, very interesting uh, like um, short form uh, comedy series for HBO called Random Acts of Flyness that is just so like experimental and kind of avant-garde and I was like he's doing the Space Jam movie okay that makes me more interested and then uh and then they fired him like right before production started and I was very curious to see like how much of his sensibility was left in the film and i have to say like zero there's definitely no way that they kept almost anything also steven Yun is in this movie for a very brief moment and i was like oh god no why but Ooh. luckily he's it's really just one scene which makes it all the more confusing but at least you know at, at least his, he didn't have to waste too much time
2: <laughs> at least he got paid
1: yes exactly i wonder <laughs> how much he got paid to be an uh, an unnamed Warner Brothers executive in a meeting with LeBron James and his 12-year-old son. Um, but that's that was his character. It was him and, and Sarah Silverman for some reason. <laughs> I, this movie is so bizarre. I feel like if I just stopped and told you, like, described any 15 minutes of this film, you would just be like, what? So, I mean, at least it has that going for it.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I, I wanted to ask... Um... What's the weirdest bit of IP in this movie? Like the most incongruous?
1: Um well at one point they have to rescue one Warner Brothers character, like one Looney Tunes character from Casablanca and I, and that was Ooh. that was really that was honestly a bridge too far for me. It's like Casablanca yeah. and Looney Tunes. Uh. Yes. Like get a, get away from Constable, and again they're like using like this digital technology to digitally it re, erase the character who who these Looney Tune characters are supposed to be, and placing mm-hmm. Looney Tunes characters there instead in the actual film. And I just like that feels so disrespectful. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it wow. mostly
1: just made me want to watch um, like. Who framed Roger Rabbit again, which is just a mm-hmm. remarkably better film. And it also looks so much better. And it was made <laughs> In like that literally it's good. before I was born. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um yeah, I'm glad that Noah is not on this episode because I think he would just like be unable to process um yeah. <laughs> the Casablanca stuff. Uh, well, okay. Um so I'm glad that uh my fears were my uh, avoidance was uh confirmed
1: <laughs> oh and also at like a key climactic moment in the big uh, like basketball sequence they sampled the matrix music again for like no real reason and i was just like really offended by that just like people worked really hard to make that score for this like creative sort of outlet to like complement this work that everybody was like on the same page on and you're just stealing it for this Complete trash. I don't know. That really bothered
2: me. <laughs> i <I'd be> gangbang. <laughs>
1: yes. Oh. If you do want to watch, there's lots of fun Easter eggs where you're, like, kind of in the crowd in that big uh, number where you find out, for instance, that it... From the movie it is friends with the Night King from Game of Thrones and they're like hanging out together on the sidelines so you know that's fun. Wow I
0: mean I, I was just gonna say like the last time I remember like I remember Shrek doing like a visual reference to the Matrix and that was literally 20 years ago. Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so. Yeah, it's it's remarkable how, how stale some of these jokes are. For instance, we got an extended MC Hammer joke where Bugs Bunny does You Can't Touch This um, dressed in an MC Hammer outfit. And it's just like, that would be a dated reference in the 1997 Space
2: Jam movie. <laughs> these kids do not know who MC Hammer is.
1: No, they have no idea. Like, what are you talking about? This whole
0: movie seems to be found on the fallacy of everything old is new again.
1: I guess. I don't know. Also, <laughs> like, the, the, the basketball game just completely stops for no reason. So that way Porky Pig can do a rap battle where he's described as the notorious P.I.G. It's just like I feel like like everyone involved should be arrested. I'm sorry. I just.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. Well, so you're anyway.
1: clear of that one. <laughs> Justin, what have you been watching lately?
0: Um, I've been watching something a little bit better than that, I would say. Um, I actually had a chance to revisit a film that I, um, now that I've finished watching all the films from 2020 that I wanted to watch, I've been catching up on some older stuff. I've been watching some films from this year. Um, and this was, like I said, a revisit of a film I had seen that I liked at the time when it was released. Um and saw it this time and absolutely loved it um, enough to the point where I'm like, this probably should have been consideration for my top 10 of 2015. That is Spotlight, um, the film from... You never saw Spotlight? Oh, no, I, I saw it when it came out. But- oh, okay. <laughs> so this, yeah, this was a revisit. Um, I remember liking it at the time. I think it like just had so much hype that I don't know. I wonder if my expectations were either like, too high or I was expecting... Like a different movie or something. Um, But for whatever reason, I liked it, uh, but it didn't like, did not make my top 10. I don't even think it was in my honorable mentions for that year. Um, And saw this time, I love it. It's great. (laughs) Like, it's completely engrossing in its two hour plus runtime um i'm amazed just how distinctive each character is like this feels like the kind of movie that i'll be returning to just to like visit with these characters again which is saying quite a lot about a film that is very much about like about the nitty-gritty of investigative journalism um it shows you the you know the the not so glamorous parts like uh looking at old moldy documents in a (laughs) in a storage closet where there's a dead rat in the corner I mean, this is, like, very much about, like, the hard work that goes into journalism. For those who don't, like, just as, like, a sort of the premise of this, for those who don't know, um, it's an investigation that was conducted by uh, a group called Spotlight, which was the investigative reporting team uh, behind the Boston Globe. This film takes place in the early 2000s and uh, looks into the abuses and subsequent cover-up of sexual abuse crimes committed by priests uh, specifically in Boston that of course would go to branch out and um, they'd find that in many other places in America and also across the world again not the first to film on this podcast that I recommended with some tough subject matter but this one I think is probably more likely that our listeners have are are familiar with or have have seen this film Um, and it's just like got some really great self-contained scenes there's this one great scene um, that I definitely definitely stuck in my mind when I saw it the first time but really like kind of like brought me to tears this time uh, with a character a there's a, a survivor of this abuse played by Michael Cyril Creighton who is recalling um, what happened to him to Rachel McAdams's character who's one of the spotlight team members um, and he's talking about how he endured this abuse when he was younger and how as he, uh was more in touch with his sexuality as he got older um it affected how he looked at that he could like it really brought up a lot of these scars and you recognize just i think one of the things that this film is so good at is just really uncovering like the depth of the trauma um that this uh, both the, uh, the abusers themselves but also the systems in place that enabled them um really allowed to happen And um, it's it's and I guess for that reason, it feels like a very responsible film, it's a very honest movie as you learn more and more about this and especially the cover up aspect of it it becomes clear that it's not just a film about the Catholic Church itself and what they were doing, which, of course, itself was heinous, where you had these priests who would commit this abuse. They would just be like basically moved to other parishes where they would continue to abuse children. so you've got that, but you've also got the way in which law enforcement and governmental entities, the legal system, and also, ironically, the press helped protect them as well. Um, and I think what what this shows is not just this interconnected, um, this network of protection of abuse, but also... The way in which a lot of these, because you have so many different institutions that are protecting it, there's a certain there's a level of plausible deniability that each of them has, and I think you really see that throughout the movie with some of these institutions represented uh, by actors. There's this one, um, this is one legal firm headed by Billy Crudup, who is who has basically settled a lot of these cases uh for the victims and is essentially profiting off the abuse like the more that happens the more cases he has the more that the firm itself is able to profit and yet he's also he's just one of many um sort of like cogs in this machine and he's also the character who points out that the globe had a chance to investigate this back in the 90s and did not so it's not just it's not any one entity it's all these different entities working together to allow something like truly evil to perpetuate um it's it just really hit me this time and it's just like i said it's incredibly engrossing um all the acting is is just you know on on point each character is completely distinctive They all have their own sort of like ticks and flaws and special skills, and that really comes across. It's an incredibly vivid and vibrant movie that is also about something um, incredibly difficult and, and just horrible. But at the same time, it's very much, I think, hoping to enlighten all of us. It's how these kinds of things can happen and maybe even what we can do to make sure they don't happen. Um, but it's quite uh, it's quite a feat. And I just was really impressed by the scope of it this time. Um, I like I, it won Best Picture 2015. I was I see now, especially that it definitely um, is worthy of that honor. But I know this is a film. I know, Alex, that you're familiar with this film. Um, I'm, have you seen this film, Alan? Nope, haven't seen it. Is it streaming anywhere?
1: Yes, it's on Netflix currently. That's oh, okay. Maybe sure. we'll check it out. Yeah, I really love this film. It's it's really, really, uh, you know, it's it's a tough subject matter, and they don't shy away from that. But it also has that kind of dynamic, processy sort of quality to it, where it's like this is how very competent people do a thing. And I always love a movie like that, and the fact that that they can they can do that with such effectiveness and with such a strong cast, while also having this like emotional. A very emotionally compelling um, layer underneath it is just what makes it really stand out, in my opinion. It definitely wasn't my wouldn't have won my best picture in a year that had Mad Max Fury Road and Carol, um, but it certainly made my top ten of that year, and uh, and I really really love it. I, I like that you spotlight that not oh gosh i didn't mean to say it like that uh <laughs> <laughs> no but intended but i'm I'm glad that you highlighted uh that one scene um with rachel mcadams and and that actor because that is definitely one of the like two, three things that i always think about from that movie because it's just mm-hmm. such a he is so fantastic she's so great at at being present in the scene while giving the, the the like allowing him to be the center of it in a way that I think is really strong, uh, for an actress of her caliber and her star power, you would expect her to kind of try to steal that the the, the beats of that of that scene a little bit, and she's really generous, I think. Um, and, and the other scenes are, um, of course, the, the Mark Ruffalo yelling scene. They knew. They knew. Yeah. Because uh, at the time, it was like, all right, well, that's a little bit, like, over the top and, like, for the Oscar voters. But now it's, like, I think just, like, the thing that I think about the most um, just in my daily life because, like, I always want to be screaming they knew. Yeah. Um <laughs> Just about a variety of things that are happening in the world. Um, And then the last thing is, and not to spoil it for anybody, but the film ends uh, with this sort of incredible block text listing every single uh, city where a similar kind of exposure has occurred. And it's like dozens, if not hundreds of places around the world. And that is just really, really kind of... Awful um, and and moving to to think that like we see we saw these people trying desperately to uncover this and they are able to uncover what is thousands of of abuse um, victims uh, that happened over decades and then to just scale that up to like hundreds of cities around the world is j- just an incalculable number of people affected by this evil and uh, yeah. and yeah it's really really a really really awful way to walk out of a movie theater i could tell you that much
0: <laughs> and i did so when i first saw it i did see it like in the theater and i just remember like you could hear a pin drop at the end of the it just was pretty it definitely had a significant impact on the audience that i saw it with um yeah which i guess was a you know definitely was kind of how i felt watching it this time um so yeah it's uh i don't know if i mentioned it, it's just, I did I mention Tom McCarthy as the director here? Um I usually do in the beginning, but not sure if I did this time. Um I don't think
1: you did, but it's yeah. worth noting. He had another yeah. he has another uh film at Cannes, I think, this year that was getting a yes. lot of attention. So
0: we mentioned it briefly on uh, on our summer movie preview, Stillwater, I believe. Um Yes. Yeah. He's had an interesting career. Uh this was definitely <laughs> <Yeah>. a highlight. <laughs> um interesting, a lot of his early films certainly. are more like you know uh sort of indie ensemble films uh but as he's then you know he also said something like the cobbler which i don't even know how to describe um, I mean, so. um timmy's first failure mistakes were made I that's believe, was right also yes that he did. <laughs> yes i did not see that apparently there was a giant polar bear and that's all i know sure uh, <laughs> but anyway um so yeah, that's definitely an interesting uh, collection of films that we've and and television that we've talked about. Um, so I want to move on now to our main review, uh, Black Widow, which, as I mentioned before, this has been a long time coming. Um, I remember being excited for it coming out last summer, uh, before I, you know, before COVID was even the the faintest <laughs> idea in my mind in my head. Um so I wanted to start with you guys and just kinda ask you generally, uh, was it worth the wait? Uh maybe I'll start with you, Alan.
2: it's a mixed bag. You have those mm-hmm. Rocky and Bullwinkle accents that are annoying. Whole <laughs> film feels like it's a setup for Elena to be a back to black widow, which frankly, yeah, that's the whole point of the movie. And because frankly they had, I think they had a contract with Scarlet Hans saying they had to get this movie, so that's why it exists. So yeah. There were good things. The interactions between Scarlet and Florence were good, but some of the comedy fell flat for me. Like joking about the forced hysterectomies. I know why they did that because Joss Whedon set it up in the earlier films, but it was cringeworthy.
1: Yeah, it's a controversial comedy beat for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. Do wasn't. you actually do you know the story behind that? I was. they this got a lot of a little bit of press over the week since it yeah, came yeah, out. And I found it perfect. interesting.
2: They had a script doctor discussing with the director, that's how that scene came about.
1: Yeah, not just any script doctor, but um, Nicole a uh, claimed indie uh, no. filmmaker, <laughs> did a pass on the, on the film. And yeah, because Eric Pearson, uh, who wrote the screenplay, basically put this uh, like offhanded joke where he was like, oh, what are you on your period or something? And that was like, that was the joke. And apparently uh, Scarlett Johansson and Kate Shirland, the director, were like, we absolutely cannot include this. That's like so lame and stupid. Why would we put that in our movie? And then when Nicole Center, uh did her draft, she was like, hey, what if instead of just cutting it, we leave it in? But we allow the girls, Scar- uh, Natasha and Yelena, to have a comeback to it where they talk about um, in, in brutal detail, the ways in which they were um mutilated by their uh, by the Red Room um and uh and apparently everyone loved it and I've I've heard some people really enjoy that 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 moment um because they really liked how like dark it was and how challenging it was uh for especially the David Harbour character um I'm kind of I could go either way with it honestly I feel like it kind of (laughs) maybe needed to be a little bit darker or less dark I feel like it was a weird mix but you know yeah I I, (laughs) how did that work for you Justin (laughs) well
0: just I wonder if it like if they had gone with an approach that was more deadpan I think maybe the the gravity the seriousness of that would have hit harder but the way it actually plays out and the way that Florence Pugh plays it is a lot more like deliberately trying to like gross out (laughs) david harbour's character so it's just i don't know it's yeah i i'll be honest in the moment i wasn't quite sure how to react to it and the audience that i watched it with was like laughing like huh huh?" like it was like kind of just it was like a confused sort of laughter
1: (laughs) yeah well hey it's a provocative choice and the mcu Mm -hmm. is pretty short on those so i can at least respect it on that level
0: um, but how did you feel in general about the film, Alex?
1: I really liked it. I it's not like my favorite Marvel film that I've seen, but I've re- I really enjoyed watching it at like six in the morning the day it came out, um, <laughs> <laughs> before work, like for some reason. Um, and it's really grown, honestly, in my estimation since I've I've watched it. I think that um, as a story about a character that I've been a fan of for a long time, but that never really got a chance to have, to play a central role in any of these movies. Um, I thought it really, it served it served her okay, but it launched Florence Pugh's Yelena Belova just like fantastically. And I'm so excited for that character uh, to continue on in future movies. I think that she is so... Fun and dynamic and of course she get because she isn't the center of the film she gets to have a lot of those um like uh the she gets to have the spotlight on her at exactly the right times um you know uh in the way that a, a supporting character can always sort of steal a scene but she consistently delivers every time that they go to her and um i think she really brings a lot of the personality that the film needs um especially given the fact that they are kind of dealing with surprisingly serious and upsetting content uh, throughout the film. Just sort of like grief and uh, remorse and trauma is, are all very center stage in this film. And I thought that uh, Florence Pugh's character both went for that material head on and then also was able to uh, to to give us a lot more of that Um Comedy and and personality that the film I think really desperately needed at at several points. So yeah, really I'm I'm a fan of this film. I'm a huge fan of what Florence Pugh is doing in the film. Less of a huge fan of what David Harbour is doing in this film, but we can get into it.
0: Yeah, I I I feel like this is a movie uh, I really enjoyed. Uh, I was really glad to see it, like I said, in a theater, um, in a pretty full theater, which was you know well, <laughs> I have maybe mixed feelings about in a world where we are still in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, although, you know, I am vaccinated as, as were uh, my folks who I saw it with. I would say this is definitely a movie I liked, not in the upper tier of Marvel films that I've seen. Uh, probably not even close at the same time. I really appreciate a lot of what the movie was doing. It feels like it has, it will have like a rewatchable quality to it. Um, I definitely liked a lot of the dynamics between the characters, particularly between um, Natasha and Yelena, Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh. Um, I guess to me it feels like the kind of thing where I like it in in spite of recognizing that it has a lot of flaws. I think one thing that I wish had been better executed, uh, which maybe we'll get into, is the sense of uh, redemption within this surrogate family, which... I think the film made a really interesting choice of ha- of showing us like what this family dynamic was like uh, in the beginning and then kind of trying to show it being pieced back together gradually over the course of the film. I'm not quite sure it completely worked for me in terms of the narrative. I think the actors did a do a pretty decent job of trying to sell it, um, but it does feel like there's a bit of an emotional component missing there for me. I Definitely, you know, Florence Pugh is to me like the standout. I, I can't disagree with that. I will I will say that maybe <laughs> David Harbour's character who, you know, he's he's playing a character who is very much a grandstander, so it makes sense. The way he's acting and yet it still feels like much it still feels like a lot of forced comedy which um you mentioned before alan like i will say like not all the comedy worked for me here there are definitely a few moments that kind of hit with a thud for me and um and i can kind of hear what you're saying about it being a mixed bag because i do think there are things this film does really well some things maybe it could do with uh some improvement um I, I guess one thing I wanted to ask you guys about is um, how did you feel about the action in this film? Cause I kind of have like, again, that's something I have sort of mixed feelings about, but how did you feel?
1: So I really liked all of the action. I just didn't understand why they all like, it felt like almost every one of those scenes were just a very abbreviated. Like I was like, let's mm. stay here and spend more time in these action sequences because like the, the stunt choreography is really, is really strong. I thought that Kate Sherlin's direction direction was really strong, and it just felt like we were constantly moving away from the action scenes to go to something else. And it's just like let's let's stay there longer. Like I think I think that the one real long action sequence that we get is that fight on the bridge um, between mm-hmm. uh, Natasha and Taskmaster. And think that that scene is the best example of the action because they actually allow it to play out and there's several different beats it's not just like you know quick like glimpse of a fight and then we move on to something else also the escape scene the chase scene in uh, in in, um, uh, Budapest uh, that definitely was a really good action sequence as well. Um, but again, it allowed it to kind of play itself out. Like, some of the action beats later in the film, I feel, are, are just abbreviated because there's so much stuff going on and so many plate spinning. It's like, I would have liked the movie to have slowed down a little bit to have a few more of those.
2: Yeah, I agree with Alex because the fight scene with Scarlet and all the widows at the end, that could have been a real action set piece, but it felt, it was what, like 30 seconds? Yeah. And, yeah, it it didn't feel like if you let actually feel like you won from these films. I actually could have been better for
1: me. Yeah, it, I totally yeah. agree. It, it had like that sequence at the end. I mean, it's it's like they set it up where it's like, oh no, it's. Natasha has to fight the whole this whole team of widows and she has she they she can't stand a chance and and then they just like they beat her up a couple like they if I remember correctly they sort of like mix they 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 zip in and out of that scene a few times so you're only getting like glimpses of what the fights like and then yeah. they drop the bomb that kind of breaks them of their trance and then they be, and then it's over it's just like oh okay well that wasn't that interesting I feel like we could have <laughs> maybe yeah like made that happened, into a whole but it wasn't yeah like it could it could have been a whole interesting set piece and like yelena could have come in and they could have like teamed up and fought together which we haven't really gotten to see that would have been interesting so they didn't do that and that's fine like i I always i never want to review the movie that i wish i saw and i want to try to review the movie that we got and they obviously made choices but i don't totally agree with those choices i think it was just you know maybe it's just that the movie was too long by that point because they had Spent the time that they needed to spend on some of those dramatic scenes in the middle, and I'm very thankful that they did because that's probably my favorite part of the film. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like you know make the make the final action sequence you know five minutes longer, and you really could have played out some of those action beats in a way that would have been interesting because they showed that they could that they could compose things that were really compelling earlier in the film. So I just don't know why they needed to bail on it at the moment where people are expecting the most from that part of the film you know
0: yeah i i guess for me like i i i appreciate that a lot more of the action here even compared to other marvel films is a lot more hand-to-hand so it's a lot more sort of intimate in your face kind of stuff um it's to me it's like a little bit choppier than it needs to be i think the choreography itself is on point it's just, it really is like kind of sliced and diced in a way that I felt, found a little bit unsatisfying. Um, I, I feel like hand-to-hand especially is something that's most satisfying, maybe with longer takes. Um, and I don't think it's unprecedented to see even in superhero movies. Uh, one film that we actually talked about in this podcast, Birds of Prey, I thought did that really expertly. Um Maybe it helped that they had some of the choreographers from the John Wick franchise in that movie. <laughs> but you know, the, so <laughs> maybe yeah, the uh,
2: were great.
0: Yeah. Um, Lesser less film. But but here I think I think like you're saying, I think it's 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 very much more it's it's much more chopped up. It's it feels like it should be better, especially given um given the you know, the fact that this is such a high profile Marvel film. Um and and I will say just I do like the fact that in these action scenes, um, you do have some character dynamics being played out, I think especially that chase scene that you mentioned, Alex, like you see a lot of them kind of like redis- like almost like rediscovering each other's rhythms, which is mm-hmm. I always find that really interesting, like with siblings who clearly had a close relationship with their younger but haven't seen each other. in, you know, I guess at this point, decades and seeing them kind of like reestablishing those rhythms. And I think that actually is an added dimension to the action here. It's not just about, you know, the thrills and the spectacle. It is also about helping to build the character. And I think the actors here are more than up to the task for that.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that what makes those first two action sequences and another one in the beginning of the film that I was that I forgot to mention is when Natasha and Yelena meet for the first time like in that apartment building and they have that sort of fight where they're matching each other and they're just like mirroring mm-hmm. each other's moves and everything yeah. i think all three of those opening fight sequences are really great because you know the, the choreography is fun but there's such an emotional uh throughline to those experiences um that really works like in the first one on the bridge it's very much about Natasha being like her confusion is and her, like, kind of frustration over the fact that she finally got away from everything and now has to deal with this stuff. And it's not even about her, like, her uh, the course of that action sequence, she realizes that, like, there's a whole other thing going on and now she's roped up into it. Like, I think all of that made that action scene really work well. And then, of course, like the two of them meeting uh, Natasha and Le- Elena as adults for the first time, like, the way that plays out is so great because of the ways in which the action tells the story of how close these sisters were and how similar they are and yet like where they uh where their differences lie and that was really a really great way to establish that relationship and then again like you said the 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 chase sequence immediately following that where they kind of begin to build their relationship again and uh, and you see the gaps in it as well I think all of that may, all of that heightens the action scene as well so I think that that really might be another reason why in the second half of the film the action feels a little bit uh, kind of perfunctory because it, it I think it lacks a lot of the emotional uh, narrative that those earlier action scenes have
0: yeah and and sometimes I know there are moments, um, not just not necessarily just in Marvel films, but just, you know, action films in general, where you're kind of aware as you're watching it that you're like, OK, theoretically, this should be like much more thrilling. And like what is actually happening on screen, if I were to describe that to someone, would be really like, you know, amazing. And to actually see it, you're kind of like, OK, yeah. I mean like the whole the whole skydiving sequence at the end for me was one of those scenes where you're just kind of like this should be amazing like you're there are people like literally just like fall you know with no parachute, zooming through the sky, hurtling toward the ground um and it just kind of you're like, okay, yeah, like there's not really like that sense of danger that that you want um in something of that kind of size um and scope, and I guess you know. Maybe that maybe that to me speaks to like other problems with the film beyond the action too. Um, and I, I, I'm curious what you guys think about how you felt about like the family dynamic here, or at least, you know, maybe like not maybe the family in general, but also if you feel did you feel that it was a satisfying um, sort of arc uh, for their family and this and you know, they're sort of coming back together again.
2: No, it was so rushed. Why would Belina and Lem just suddenly turn on everything they've been doing for years just because Le- Elena and Natasha showed up again? It didn't make any sense. It wasn't satisfying. I
1: I kind of I kind of liked it. I thought that I agreed that we kind of we are robbed that last beat between Natasha and Milena that really would solidify her transition because they want to save the reveal. Like they want to establish like this sort of like a uh, swapped personality reveal where it's like, Oh, we think that she betrayed them, but it turns out she didn't. And I kind of wish that they right. hadn't done that. And they had just let the audience see the rest of the scene between her and Natasha. So that way we could emo- like, so we could buy into it emotionally more. Um, but that but that would be my only complaint, because I feel like overall they did a really strong job of establishing the, the family dynamic, both in the uh, both in the opening where you have this like flashback to 1995, which I think is just excellent, maybe one of the best uh, sequences in a Marvel movie, honestly. Um, just how emotionally powerful it is and how fraught and how great those kid actors are. I just like tremendous performances by those two. I hope that they can go on and have a really good career after this because I was like, wow, these kids are just being asked to just do like everything and they're doing so well. Um, But yeah, I really I really like that. And I think that that sequence in the middle of the film where the family comes back together and they sort of like deal with the, the they have this reckoning of like oh you guys just thought that everything was gonna be okay but like everything was pretty pretty bad for like a long time <laughs> and you guys really like you you fucked up big time like everybody like oh we're a family whatever but you if you're a family then you guys really fucked things up every one of every one of you did you let each other down and and they really kind of like sit with that for a minute and I think that that is. The thing that is supposed to get you emotionally to where they decide to turn on the red room as a result, you know, but I I agree that we could have gotten that one extra beat to kind of solidify it and make it instead of going for the fun reveal Um, as fun as it is to have like, you know, a mask where it makes you look like you're someone else. But
0: yeah,
1: I, I, I which I've never seen
0: before in any movie. (laughs)
1: Ever? No, of course not. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, part of the fun of this movie is that like it's playing with tropes that are that are from, you know, a Bond movie or a Mission Impossible movie. And I think that they sure. integrate those things into the MCU pretty well. Um my biggest complaint is, you know, one of the tropes that they steal is a generic Russian bad guy who, uh, you know, tosses people around and yells a whole lot um, in front of a big computer screen. Uh, I did not enjoy that. (laughs) I thought that uh, Ray Winston, as much as I've enjoyed him and other things, I think he's kind of dreadful in this movie and it, and it really is a, is a detriment to the experience.
0: It's not my favorite Ray Winston performance. (laughs) Um, You know, and I would say like some of the scenes where it's, like he is so prides himself on working in the shadows and being this sort of, you know, this puppet master. And at the same time, it's like, I think some of the moments where he's a lot more subdued and sort of matter of fact about, I'm like, okay. And then the scenes where he is like very easily rattled <laughs> by, by Natasha sort of challenging that is just kind of makes him feel like not as formidable a character, not as formidable a villain. Um, and, yeah. yeah, I, I, I just... liked it
1: from her perspective. I liked that they showed that she is so, like, that they were like, oh, her superpower that w- has been established in the previous films is that she's really good at reading people and then manipulating them to get what she needs out of them. Right. And so I'm and glad there's... that they gave her a showcase for that. Yeah, and there's movie. a payoff for it, too. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, I agree that it's a little bit like, I don't know, I mean, it was believable, it was just very cartoonish, that's what I would say. It's like, mm-hmm. I believe that this guy, as presented, would just lose his shit as soon as a woman kind of challenged him in any capacity. <laughs> but like, that's super cartoonish and boring, so I wish that they had done something different instead.
2: Well yeah, he's not used to being challenged by anyone, let alone women.
1: yeah. Let alone one of his yeah. black widows, you know, like that. That's sure. the whole thing. It's like it's his power trip. But so I get like it, it, it's, it's, there's an internal logic to it. It's just like very cartoonish. Also, I did not know that you could just smash your head into a table and then sever your, your nerve and no longer be able to smell things. That was interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah. I remember my, uh, my dad said something similar to me like after the movies, like, oh, just, <laughs> that's all she had to do, huh? <laughs> It like, seemed like really when like... she
1: walked into that scene, she already knew that she was going to need to do that. And I wonder, mm-hmm. like, couldn't she have just gotten nose plugs? I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that wasn't lying around the farm.
2: Or do it beforehand? Just knock her head into the wall?
1: Yeah. Something that <laughs> doesn't involve her bashing her head into something I heard someone talking about this movie as saying like, oh, we found out that what Natasha's superpower is, it's apparently not being not getting a concussion. Um, And I think that is accurate because she gets knocked around a lot and is apparently completely fine. I
0: do. I do really like that moment, especially for I think it's like maybe one of the highlights of uh, Scarlett Johansson in the film, like her acting, because it really is something that she's just relishing and yet there's also like the performative aspect behind it um it's just it's it's really been satisfying to me over like the course of the past i guess decade to like really see like what she's capable of as an actress i think i think over the course of the mcu we've seen her character i think not just become more of a fan favorite but also just see her like actually come into more full view as a character (laughs) and I think like this that moment to me was like maybe one of the culminations of it and and I just and I just also just love her sense of compassion and empathy that's also something that I think has been a part of her um, for a little while now and the sense of like female solidarity in this movie which I'm all about I'm an easy target for that Um, (laughs) which I think really does is is fulfilled um in in her you know just both i think in that scene and like what it's building to um but also the relationship she does have with um you know with melina um, and uh, elena
1: yeah absolutely i think that, that is that's clearly a purposeful through line of the whole film and i think that they They mostly execute it well there was a chance that it could come off like very preachy and uh or maybe even sort of like forced and i think they built the narrative in such a way that it felt justified and uh it felt additive i the one thing that i will say though is that i just you know a lot of people today are mad about the reveal of Taskmaster. and uh you know spoiler alert it's not who it is in the comics instead it is someone who is uh you know uh, thematically um appropriate for this story um of redemption and confronting Natasha's past i don't mind that at all number 1 because i don't i didn't know who taskmaster was until like 4 <laughs> days ago so who cares right like i think some people are just a little bit it's like this is a very minor character and i'm sure that if enough people get mad marvel will have someone else take put in that put on that suit and be the real taskmaster next time like they're doing with the mandarin cuz you know you got to service the family boys I guess but um I thought it made sense for it to be someone from her past I just didn't totally love that like she had no personality at all even once you took the mask off because she's just like a traumatized victim which like I get that's literally the point but then it just it that's not super compelling and I feel like it also is is dinged a little bit because they literally just replay the end of Captain America: The Winter Soldier, um, and, and that's like such an incredible scene and is so emotionally potent, and uh, and in, and here it, this just feels kind of like a a, a sad copy of of that, um, where it just like really isn't hitting those same beats, so it, it really suffers by comparison too. I don't mean to compare it, but it's literally like you know a faceless assassin villain is revealed to be a person from our protagonist's past. And, uh, our protagonist refuses to fight her, uh, in order to save her soul as the flying fortress that they are inside like falls to the earth. So it's like, really, it's hard to avoid the parallels.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And there's obviously the relationship that, (laughs) that Bucky and, um, and Steve had, you know, to, to build up to that moment. And here it's just like, you know, it's not like, there's not even any kind of like beyond the fact that she knew that, um, Antonia Dracoff's daughter was in, like was in the building where she attempted to kill him and that it was collateral damage. Like there's no, you know, there's no relationship there. There's no, there's nothing existing before that moment between them personally yeah,
2: she's just um, girl for it to off. work.
0: And I, I will say like, I was, I'm, I was happy to see Olga Korolenko, who I feel like I, I'm, i like, waiting for her, like, break still after, like, so many years. <laughs> She's, like, been in, like, bit parts and stuff. Um, So it was a little disappointing to me. So, like, I remember thinking, oh, that's cool. That's Olga Korolenko. And then her not really getting to do anything. I mean, she does look great in that suit, though. I will say that. Oh, Justin. <laughs> I, was, I was a fan of that. I was a fan of the Taskmaster costume. Anyway.
1: I just, um, I have like, I just, you know, I don't know why she had to be comatose. Like, I don't know why she couldn't have been like, motivated by revenge and like had a chip on her shoulder and they could have explored the ways in which yeah. like, you know, just that a chip can- in the brain. Yeah, a chip in a brain instead, which is a much more boring choice. Like, it feels like you could have done this character where she has a a vendetta against Natasha and, like, blames her for everything and, and, like, has to go through this arc of realizing that, like, yes, Natasha was wrong. But Natasha and her are both part of the same system and they, in order to, you know, truly be free from it, they have to work together to, to destroy it. The father character, right? Like, I feel like mm-hmm. that would have been maybe that's just a more traditional way of telling the story, but I think it would have been more um, engaging than just. Like, I
2: can't really go for the ship love
1: because that goes within the theme of the subjugation of women, which is whole thing of this film. Yeah, I, that is yep. true, and that is clearly a big part of it. But I, I don't, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like that that theme still would have stood if, you know, you you tackle. Oh, the way that trauma and, and, uh, and displaced, you know, anger can also um, subjugate women in a different way, you know, where they feel like they have agency, but really, they're part of this system that is pushing them down still, like that is also a part of that narrative. And I feel like it, it could have been additive, and she could have actually been a character instead of just a victim, which I feel like is, is maybe making the film a little bit culpable in the Mm -hmm. thing that they're trying to critique. I don't know. I'd like to read more about what other people think on that subject.
0: It feels like one of many other things in this film, which is just like either rushed or just kind of pushed aside. um, And is maybe part of what keeps it from being like a top tier film for me. Yes, I agree.
1: Yeah. But I think that the work that they do on the family really elevates a lot of, a lot of the other parts of the film in a way that is really distinct from other things that the, that Marvel movies have done in the past, you know? Yeah. and i really appreciated that.
0: Yeah, and I, I especially like maybe one of my favorite, i mean, there's so many great Florence Pugh moments in this, but one of i think her like acting showcases is in that scene where they're sitting down at that table and just seeing all that like that sense of betrayal coming back to her, just that that sense of everyone else being like seeming to be okay and her feeling like, you know, they actually had something meaningful as a family that for all intents and purposes for her, it was her family. And not only was she wrested away from them, but then brought into this incredibly abusive and traumatic environment. I think for, for someone like Natasha, you can tell like she's pushed a lot of that down over the years. And it's an interesting foil to have someone like Elena, who is very, those, those emotions are very palpable or very much um, apparent. And I think especially is true in that one scene.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think like that scene is the showcase. But I think honestly, the better scene is the scene that immediately follows it, where it's her and David Harbour in the in the bedroom, and and uh, he's doing a really terrible job of consoling her. And then he's and then he <laughs> just gives up and he starts singing the song that she loved. Um, and they have that like really beautiful moment together that I think just really was very mm-hmm. sweet. Yeah, I didn't that like nice that copy. scene at all.
2: I was just like. Ugh. <laughs>
1: yeah i I, alan i'm not surprised was it not
0: like was it just like could you not get over david harbour's russian accent trying to do don mclean
2: that was part of it but also just (laughs) seeing american pie it it, it was just bad i didn't
1: american pie is very on the nose um i will give you that yeah but I don't know. I was an eight year old who really who found that song for no apparent reason and then really liked it. So I kind of connected to it on that level, I guess.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know there's other things we want to talk about, but just because we mentioned one music moment, I did want to ask, how did you guys feel about the opening credits sequence where we get a slowed down version uh, cover of Smells Like Teen Spirit? to set to visual imagery that is almost like like home movies of <laughs> child kidnapping. <laughs> How did we feel actually, about really that? I actually really like
2: that. That was actually one of the highlights of the film because I know it's a old trope now to use pop songs and make them all sad and slow, as have done very often these days. You see it everywhere, movies, crazy anatomy, whatnot, but... but it really hammered home the theme of the film, to,
1: which is the subjugation of women and how Yelena and Natasha been affected by all this shit. Yeah, Alan, I completely agree. I, I know It's, like, very trendy to, like, shit on that because it's like, oh, they slowed down a pop song to make it so serious. Aren't we over this? But I, I thought it was really well executed and it was a great way to kind of establish that, like, we are in a different... Like, realm than what we're used to with like zippy poppy Marvel movies like this is gonna be serious it's gonna be taking uh itself a little bit more seriously and it's gonna be tackling like darker messier subject matter and I thought it was like a really good sort of, a way to transition from that really harrowing opening sequence into what will eventually be the rest of the film. I I really, really liked that.
0: Yeah, I, (laughs) (laughs) I, so, so the way the, the way that you, both of you are describing it, I, I would say the imagery did that for me. Having the song, in addition to that, just made it feel much more overwrought. And I'm like, I guess I was a little confused by that because I felt like a lot of what we were seeing was kind of speaking for itself. And to me, it almost seemed like let's take this thing that's very familiar, like a very familiar song and put it in this like way that makes it feel a lot more sad. And I'm just like, I feel like we can kind of figure out how to feel about this without the added soundtrack.
1: I guess, but I think that that song is doing more work than that. Like, it's a. The song is an extremely angry, rebellious song, which is then being stripped down and into this kind of like dirge. And I think that is kind of previewing what the emotional texture of the whole film is going to be where it's like there's this rage inside of our characters that are are valid but they've had to kind of suppress it because of the trauma and it's kind of like about accessing that and using that as fuel over the course of the film so I think that there's more intelligence to that choice than than maybe some people want to give it credit for
0: interesting yeah I I guess maybe just because of the performances I felt all that already so maybe it just in looking at the entire you know scope of the film it just seemed a little bit excessive to me so
2: you thought was like a hat on a hat basically
1: (laughs) maybe a little (laughs) bit yeah that's fair but i mean you know these movies are not made for subtle nuance most of the time
0: (laughs) they do have their share of those moments though i will say so anything else that we didn't cover that you guys wanted to bring up about the film before we i want to talk about the
1: lead character being dead how they kind of negated the stakes of the film a bit. Yeah, that's fair. That's a common complaint, so I'm, I'm happy to get into that. Can you explain to to us, like, how that um, affected your viewing of the film?
2: Well, in an action film, you went out of some danger. And knowing the lead is already dead kind of undercuts every scene. And you know they aren't going to kill Elena because they need her to be the next Black Widow. You know they aren't going to kill Lexi because they need her to be a her character for Elena you know they are going to kill Melina because she needs to be supporting him for Lena so it basically becomes like there's no danger here. There's emotional stakes, but there's no danger.
1: Yeah, I could see that. I honestly thought that Melina could end up dying by the end of the film just because she is kind of the most morally culpable of all of the characters and so I wouldn't be surprised if she had a a redemptive death at the, in the in the last act that would definitely track with the kind of film that we were working from. But um but I don't know. I think that there is more stakes there's more, there's more stakes than just life or death when, when like confronting a film like this, don't you think?
2: Uh, yeah, big stakes in the film were the relationship between the family, but still, when you're dealing with a character is already dead. And there's no growth there. There's no growth for future films, so it's hard, to, makes it harder to buy into it because
1: she's dead. There's no growing from here. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Justin, what do you think about it?
0: Yeah, I guess, I guess I would say it felt like it gave a little more context for some of the previous films that we've seen. Um, You know, I don't, is it like, uh, like, was it a hundred percent necessary? Like it was like a missing puzzle piece. I don't know about that, but it's certainly like, it certainly broadened the character for me, especially, I think this film really wrestles with her, um, with her own, um, you know, sins that she's committed the the things that she's like i said kind of pushed down for so long um so i guess it, it gave me a little more context for understanding the character in that way and um you know i agree like you know we there's we're there's not really seeing a whole lot um in terms of a future for this character which is which is you know sad but you know i think as we've seen with a lot of these people they've they've all kind of um been able to over the you know over <laughs> the course of a decade uh, you know or close to it um have kind of uh you know managed to to have some satisfying arcs um so i guess yeah like there wasn't maybe the the same sense of danger um that there would be if we didn't know the fates of any of these characters or quite frankly <laughs> if we weren't watching something that we knew was connected to a, bro- a bigger universe um but it did i think I did think it gave me context for other other things we've seen from this character and, and ways of understanding a character um, in a previous film uh, that maybe we didn't know at the time. So I, I guess I appreciate it on that
1: level. And uh, so what I'll, what I'll say about this, and I do think this is a fair critique of the film because it's certainly one that I've heard from a lot of places, but... Uh, for me it just is like so when I'm watching the third act of the film there was definitely a point in the movie where I was thinking okay well I know that Natasha gets out of this because we know where she is you know two weeks from now so I wonder how they're gonna get her out of it right that was definitely a thought in my head and I could see that being a distraction for someone but like I don't know when I was watching Thor the Dark World um, and Jane Foster's life was in peril. I never really was like, Oh, I wonder if she's gonna survive because like she's the romantic lead of the superhero movie. So unless it's a climactic finale of the superhero franchise, I think there's like no possible way that she's gonna die. So my question in that situation is also, I wonder how she's gonna get out of this, you know? So mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of like part of the genre is is asking not if someone will survive, but how will they survive? And like, that's where the tension is for me. So it never really bothers me when we're dealing with a prequel and we know that like, eventually things are going to work out okay for our superhero protagonist, because like in almost every superhero movie, things work out well for our superhero protagonist in the end.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's because when I think about some of the earlier, you know, even films that centered on other characters, um, you know even something like the end of like Captain America the first avenger where it seems like he makes the ultimate sacrifice and then you know revealed <laughs> oh right he's going to be in the new avengers um, <laughs> there's you know there's there's a certain level of of stakes that are maybe removed from that but um you know i guess it's in the moment and in the decisions um that they're making um you know cuz they don't know that we might know that <laughs> but, right <laughs> um but i i i don't think uh, you know i hear what you're saying alan cuz i i i don't think there was ever that sense of feeling like things were going to work out especially knowing that you know that elena is the next black widow very curious to see what happens uh from here on out with regard to the uh last uh with the end credit sequence but um i want before we um get into sort of the future um any Any sort of final word on the movie, I think it seems like we all or it seems at least that Alex you and I liked it, and Alan, maybe you're a little more mixed. Uh, would that be fair to say? Yes, yeah,
1: there's good parts of it, but yeah, there's the problems here, yeah. <laughs> any uh final thoughts for you guys you know on 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 letterbox i gave it three and a half stars you know it's Mm -hmm. not i don't it's not in a top tier of the of marvel films um for me but i i did really enjoy it and i and i respected the fact that they tried to do some different things um with the emotional like context of this film and they they were willing to you know I mean, certainly there's still jokes and they still try to find comedy, but I feel like they were they allowed this movie to be serious when it needed to be. They didn't need to undercut every serious moment with a joke, which I think is sometimes uh, something that Marvel can be guilty of. And, mm. and I think it explored this character in a way that felt... Um, that didn't feel contrived. It didn't feel like, you know, I think of, like, the solo... Um, prequel film where it's just like okay let's check a box and everything that we know about this character let's give one scene that explains how it happened and like they don't do that but they do go through her history that we've seen that has been like vaguely referenced and they pick out the things that could most interestingly tell a compelling story about her in a way where we can learn more about who she really is and see how she operates outside of the context of the Avengers, see who she is when she's not around those people. And when she's, when she's on her own and when she's around people who knew her from before. And I think that this movie does that very well.
2: I will say the best thing in the film was Yolanda being proud of that vest because that was the first thing she's ever bought for herself. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's a very small scene, but I think it perfectly calculates the scene of the film she has an agency to buy a vest with pockets, and that makes her so happy.
1: And that was so yeah. nice. <laughs> I did. I really liked that too. It, and it, like, it really does remind you of like when you get when you got your first job, or and you got to buy something for yourself, and it's just like mm-hmm. such an exciting and empowering feeling of like I didn't need to ask permission. I could just go to the store and buy that CD or that shirt or whatever, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. and it's practical too, right? <laughs> like, yeah. And when when And then it turns pockets.
1: out. I, I didn't realize this because I guess I'm not as big of a Marvel fan as I thought I was, but that is a vest that Natasha then wears in infinity war, which apparently at the time got controversy because people thought like, Oh, that's not something she would wear. And now we found out why she wore it. And that's great, I guess. I don't know, but I did really, I think that that's actually a very good scene. And so I don't necessarily care that that is, that it kind of serves as an origin story of her outfit for the next film. (laughs) Because it's just a nice scene, and and like Florence Pugh really sells it. And when you know you see Natasha getting on that plane at the end, wearing it, it like Scarlett does a really good job of of selling what that means to her, that she's mm-hmm. taking a little piece of Yelena with her into her next journey. And I really liked that as as like a nice bookend to the earlier scene as well.
0: Yeah, I would just just to to close this out. Um, you know, I, I think that. This is something uh, I found very satisfying, even with its flaws, even though there are a few moments I wish had been a little bit better developed. Um, I, at the same time, can see myself watching this again at some point and maybe, you know, maybe adjusting how I feel about it. This would not be the first time I've done that with certain Marvel movies. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, this is I'm 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 finally glad I got to see this. And um you know, I got to be honest, it made me really excited for the upcoming slate of Marvel stuff. So I'm still buying into this <laughs> into this uh, into this universe, as it were into the machine. <laughs> yeah, which is fortunately it seems to be coming more and more of. Um, but, you know, oh, I do
2: have one more thing to say. I do don't like mm-hmm. how everything's now feels like a setup for next thing now in Marvel. I I'm fan of storytelling, but it's a bit much. Because I want something to feel like a complete story, beginning,
1: middle, and not just, well, we have to set up for the next thing. Yeah, well, I think that oh. is like a really good point to transition into the larger topic that we were going to talk about. Um, yeah. So, Justin, do you want to tee that up for us?
0: Yeah, just um, and this is just kind of like a, a general discussion in light of what we've seen in this movie. Um, maybe what we've seen, you know, just going a little bit off text here, uh, what we've seen in the Marvel shows, um, how do we feel about the future? We're really at this point now where, like you said, Alan, they are like setting up a lot. Um, you know, I certainly saw a lot of trailers for Marvel movies (laughs) before this one. Um, how are you feeling? I guess maybe we could talk specifically about the end credit scene, um, with uh, the return of Julia Louis Dreyfus's character in a very sort of purposely in a humorously anticlimactic moment <laughs> of blowing her nose during a very tender uh, moment. <laughs> um, so how did you how did you guys feel when you saw her? Uh, it, assuming you have I know Alex, you do, but I'm not sure for you, Alan, um if you have familiarity with that character from Falcon and the Winter Soldier,
2: yeah, I saw The Falcon Winter Soldier. I don't okay. know about I don't know about her playing the like Contessa Leg or whatever her name is, but I am excited to see Florence Pugh and Hawkeye. That's the only reason I'm going to watch that damn thing
1: because I don't care about Jeremy Renner at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, Haley Seinfeld, she's he's she's going to be the new Hawkeye, and she's going to be under his tutelage.
2: Tutelage. Hopefully, to so. die this time. He should have died in freaking last vendor <laughs> film, but no,
1: we can have nice things. yeah i hope he dies too i'll be honest i i do as well i hope that like he dies early and then it's Haley seinfeld is like facing off against um Elena uh for revenge and then they have to realize that they have to come together to fight a greater enemy who maybe could be played by vera formiga who's also in the movie or tv show rather so that would be fun
0: i I forgot about that
1: yeah so yeah, I liked I liked the end scene. I mean, I'm a sucker for this. I also really like serialized storytelling and I don't mind that Marvel does this. I think like as long as they are able to tell a complete emotional story um, in in their film. I think it's okay to leave the the plot threads to picked back up with other projects. I think that's part of the fun. Sometimes they get the balance wrong and it feels more like an incomplete story. Uh, this this one this one I, I liked and and I thought it was like just enough without too much. It was like I think some people are getting upset that it's like well but it's a movie and they're teasing the tv show how could they do that and i think that's funny because they all like i feel like those same people Mm. when the the finale of loki aired this week no spoilers but it sort of majorly tees up some movie events in the future and i think those same people were really excited that the tv show was actually gonna be having a major impact on the films and just like is there just like a weird sort of like like movie supremacy here where it's cool if the tv show flows into the movie but not cool if the movie flows into the tv show i don't really (laughs) get that i mean those walls are
0: you know have already been crumbling for some time now so i'm kind of surprised to hear that um (laughs) i i will say like it was so um in the moment certainly seeing that like I really loved the reveal of that character in that moment um and I also liked the implication that Elena has been working for this person for at least a little bit um which I thought was really interesting so we've clearly uh we're we're c- clearly missing um some of the story here and I'm I'm a big fan of that sort of immediate race um approach um and I, I don't know. I like the fact that it's the kind of like it, to me, it says something really interesting about the way that, that Valentina, Julia Louis Dreyfus' character um, operates by really playing on the emotions of the people that she's bringing you know, onto this team um, in a way that is sort of like a nice counter to the way that Nick Fury recruited the Avengers. It's playing into something very personal, at least that we've seen with the two people we know that are uh, working for her in the MCU. Um, And yet it doesn't it also at the same time doesn't feel like it's just setting up like, oh, this is just a bad guy. It feels like something different. It feels like the motives are more interesting than that. Um, so I'm really curious to see where they go with this and where what they do with that with Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character in general.
1: Yeah. Alan, let me ask you this. Are you like, how would you like to see uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character play out over the next phase of the MCU?
2: I'd like to repeat one more thing and then die because I'm not really into her playing <laughs> I'm not into oh, her at all. So I you... love her as an actress, but not for less.
1: Oh wow, that's such a shame. I think she's gonna be a big part of it, so I think you're gonna be disappointed. <laughs> what about her being a villain doesn't appeal to you?
2: She just has the wrong energy. I I know there's comedic villains, but it's just like, why is she here? What? Why her?
0: <laughs> are you uh Are you familiar with Veep, Alan?
2: Yeah, I saw like the first four seasons. Oh okay, so I'm a fan of hers, but. Mm-hmm. I don't like Seinfeld either. I hate I did not like Seinfeld at all, but I like Julia Lou Dreyfus, but no, I just don't
0: really feel her in this role. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I mean I don't want. again, I don't wanna like generalize. I wouldn't say she's just playing like a straight up villain um in this or in Veep
1: or whatever, but like I think it's like oh, she is a straight up villain in Veep, if you if you watch it long enough, <laughs> that is clear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I guess I don't know. I'm trying to I I wouldn't want to compare her to like I don't know like Ronan the Accuser or something like that you know like it's not like the sort of one dimensional sort of um, villainy but yeah I don't know I, I I'm I, I guess maybe that's why I'm interested in it is because I feel like there's something else here there's they're going in a slightly different direction um, and um, yeah I don't know I mean I I feel like there's gonna be a moment of like reckoning like for Yelena when she reck- you know when she sees what the truth is and um you know if she kills hawkeye before that <laughs> all the better
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i what i will what i'll agree with alan about is that i think that they could dial down uh julie dreyfus's um comedic uh sensibility just a tad like i thought that the or at least you know write it better if you're gonna lean on the jokes like i the thought that the, like i'm allergic to the midwest line was a pretty big clunker and i've seen other people be like that was so funny and i'm like have you seen a movie that was funny before i don't know um (laughs) because that was not a great line
0: (laughs) um so i know like we are supposed to get uh later on this year um i don't you know it it was actually pretty interesting. Uh, You know, obviously it's a trailer, but I think one of the things I liked about seeing that trailer was it did feel kind of like its own thing. Um, And with, you know, with a lot of new characters and I'm, I'm always interested. For some reason I'm like very interested in that, not because I necessarily think that they're going to like really link, you know, link in with what we already know, but just to like see like a new world that's still somewhat connected, but still very much its own thing. Um, and, uh, you know, again, in actual practice, I think we're going to see a lot more of those connections, but I'm curious, how do you guys feel about that movie? I mean, Alex, of course, you know, you've talked about it in our summer movie preview, um, as sort of a <laughs> very late summer release, <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> um, but how, how are you feeling about that movie, uh, Alan?
2: I'm actually excited for it because it does feel like it's going to be self-contained. It's not going to be just another, oh, it's just a certain Avengers in this one. Like he inserted Black Widow into breaking the Winter Soldier when that role really should have been Emily Van Camp's. really highlighted her. Like originally, where is up Natasha's role in that film instead. So I feel like it's gonna be more like
1: Black Panther, where it feels like it's more it's more like its own thing. Yeah, I I think that it's it's gonna have that feel too. Although if you look closely at that trailer, you will see some MCU connections. For example, in the there seems to be some sort of uh, fight tournament that. Uh, Simulu is is attending, and in the center ring is uh, the Abomination, which was a villain from uh, the Hulk, the the original the. Yeah, Incredible. no, he's gonna be Yeah and he's going to and he seems to be fighting um Wong from Doctor Strange in that ring. So I, I think we're going to I think it might be a little less self-contained than we may have previously thought, but um I'm I'm excited for it. I'm excited for the Eternals also. I'm excited. I mean, I'm uh, the thing I'm most looking forward to that comes out this year is definitely um Spider-Man No Way Home because you know, I'm I'm a sucker for two things. That is a uh, Spider-Man movie starring Tom Holland and multiverse bullshit and this is going to have both of those (laughs) things so really looking forward to that um i'm really as far as like the the tv side of things miss marvel i'm really i'm that's a character that is is that so many people love from the comics and i haven't had a chance to really experience her very much because i'm not a huge comics reader and so i'm really excited that she's coming to this to the to Disney Plus and that she's going to be in the new uh, Captain Marvel movie uh, the following year. And I really hope that they do a good job with that. That has a chance to be like a really good show, I think, if they nail it. Um, and then Hawkeye is a show that, you know, when they announced Hawkeye, the TV show, uh, like two <laughs> years ago, is was like, oh, God, why? Um, but now that I know that it's going to be about uh, Haley Seinfeld and Florence Pugh um, like fighting each other and then hopefully teaming up to fight someone else I'm like way excited for it so <laughs> that's how I'm feeling about the, the end of uh, the end of this year in terms of the MCU at least
0: yeah I mean I remember I feel like we've been talking about Marvel stuff on this podcast for long enough where I want to say we even mentioned like one of us mentioned Ms. Marvel as a thing before it was ever announced as a you know something they were going to do a show about um, so, you know, it's, we're really excited to see, and and I guess th- that's the other thing just in thinking about all this is like, not just recognizing that these things are connected, but like wondering what the next sort of Avengers style team up looks like, uh, if they're going to do that kind of official sort of thing, or if it's going to just kind of be like unofficial team ups. I think either way for me, uh, that seems to be something that, um, is kind of their bread and butter. And something they do really well, it's something, you know, there's a way in which so many of these movies, like, count on that kind of ensemble sort of dynamic. Um, And yet, like, the actors are all so good that you could, I think, because you see them interact with people you know, you're interested to see where those new characters go from there. Um, So, yeah, I, I, I like... Like you said, Alex. Like I like the Hawkeye thing was just like I was like, were they just gonna do a show of like every minor Marvel character? Like it was like <laughs> not something, but that was just knowing knowing the title really, and then realizing Haley Steinfeld was gonna be a part of it. I'm like, oh, i have much more about this now. I'm excited to see where it goes from here. I feel like for me, so far the TV stuff has been a little bit of a mixed bag, but probably more positive in my opinion. Like so. Uh, I do appreciate that each one kind of has its own flavor so far, so I'm interested to see if they're able to keep that going with uh, with the upcoming television slate. Um, but yeah, yeah, it sounds like our interest has not been dulled <laughs> at
1: all. <laughs> I'm one a of the things that I think,
2: She-Hulk,
0: frankly, because
2: Tatiana oh, Maslany
0: yeah. is a great actress. She's yes, gonna kill yeah, That is undeniable.
1: <laughs> and especially that they're like, oh, it's gonna be like Ally McBeal, but as a superhero, and I'm just like, okay. I want to see Tatiana Maslany play a hulked out Ally McBeal for 10 episodes. That sounds fantastic.
0: (laughs) I mean, does she get to like hulk out in
1: court? Because that sounds awesome. (laughs) If she doesn't know
0: if she will. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm very excited. Um, One of the things that I think is interesting that now we're sort of getting a, a sense of the shape of this phase four a little bit more than we were a year ago when it was all just kind of like ideas on a on a chalkboard um, and it really seems like we have a couple of different spheres right now there's like the earth-based sphere which seems very much kind of like spy driven and that's like falcon and the winter soldier that's black widow that's going to be this hawkeye show um, also probably iron heart and armor wars which are two tv projects that are coming next year They're probably going to factor into that um, we also have this sort of, like, multiverse section, which is certainly uh, where, like, Loki uh, factors in and Spider-Man No Way Home and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness and, like, a little bit of WandaVision as well. Right. Um, and then there's the space stuff, which is, you know, it's the Guardians of the Galaxy, it's the Marvels, it's the Love, and Thunder. Um, and so, I think it the, the Eternals probably. Um, I, so I think it's really interesting to see like how these spheres kind of develop independently and where they end up cross crossing over and and what that ultimately is going to end up building towards. But I'm really I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's it's really cool that they're taking such an expansive uh, approach and not rushing to build to this climactic uh, next Avengers movie right away. They're really yeah. kind of like taking their time and and setting. Setting the pawns where they need them to before they kind of like push their play. I
0: mean, it helps that Marvel's the brand and Avengers is just one of the you know (laughs) one of the subcategories.
1: Little Avengers
2: movie movie with a B lister, so (laughs) (laughs) it's (laughs) kind.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely coming, but I think we probably, I I believe them that they're not going to do an Avengers movie in Phase 4. I think that it's probably, I think we're going to have to wait until Phase 5 for that, and I'm totally fine with that, because, you know, there's enough intersections along the way that are fun. Like, Thor Love and Thunder is going to have most of the Guardians of the Galaxy in it for at least a big portion of it. Doctor Strange is like, it seems like a bit of a team-up movie. Obviously, Spider-Man is a a little bit of a team-up movie, so the the universe is certainly interacting with each other so we don't we don't need it all to be kind of in like this one climactic event for it to work um and i will say a, a project that is that I when it was announced i was like oh that, that sounds weird and i don't think i want that and now that i know who's in it i'm so excited for is uh the secret invasion tv show that's coming next year to uh to disney plus because that that cast is just absolutely stacked
2: Uh, Yeah, I know Mila Clarkson, lad, and uh, Olivia Colman's in there. So, yeah, it's going to be exciting.
1: Yeah, it's what we know right now is those two. Also, um, Ben Mendelsohn and Sam Jackson are coming back. And uh, Kingsley Benadir, who, uh, you know, got a lot of attention for playing Malcolm X in uh, One Night at Miami. Yes. (laughs) Um, And also, he's great in the the High Fidelity um, uh, Hulu series that sadly only got one season
0: oh i didn't know he was in that
1: yeah he plays zoe kravitz love interest um like ex-boyfriend who sort of kind of like sets her on the path of being in the show basically but yeah he's really good in that too
0: yeah wow well the machine just keeps chugging along doesn't it? yep and we will be here to talk about it I'm sure into perpetuity um Justin, is the one
1: thing that you're most looking forward to about the next you know 2 years I'm of marvel looking forward to um wow um i i mean
0: it's probably miss marvel honestly yeah. <laughs> i like the like the jersey city setting is really intriguing to me i want to see what that looks like i you know um I think the character itself sounds interesting. It's not something, you know, I haven't read comics since I was like really young, um, but that just, that just reading about that character sounded really intriguing. And I hope that this is a sort of floodgate for increased diversity in this, uh, in this universe and not just in this universe, but in, you know, film and television in general. Um, so it's, it just strikes me as something that um, I've been looking forward to for a while and now it's actually happening, which is pretty cool.
1: <laughs> it's always fun when that happens. Alan, how about you? Is yeah. there one thing, if you had to pin down, that you're most looking forward to? She helped, definitely, because I've always
2: loved that character, yeah. and Tatiana together is is as a powerhouse. If you saw Orphan Black, you know she could act her ass off.
1: Yeah. It's, like, insane what she does in Orphan Black. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So many Is characters. there anything
1: she doesn't do in that show? <laughs> like, no, like, no. Like, the way that she's able to, like, she play. if people haven't, if people don't know, that's a show about, like, a woman who's been cloned, like, a million times. And so she plays the woman who's been cloned, and basically, like, she, at various points, has to play two characters talking to each other. Um, and one of the characters is going undercover as a third character who is also a different personality that like she also plays independently. So it's like she's playing character A, pretending to be character B, talking to character C, who she is also playing in the scene. It's insane.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure.
1: But yeah, um, so I, I for my mine is definitely um, the the Doctor Strange movie. That's the one that I'm most looking forward to. But oh, Spider Man's a close second. do not
2: really Doctor <laughs> Strange at all because I don't care about like character or, or Benedict Cumberbatch at all. So well, I'll I watch, don't care. I mean,
1: watch, I haven't seen the first Doctor Strange. Should I watch? I like, don't. I don't like the first Dr Strange very much. um, yeah. and i and I think I could take I think he's pretty good in infinity war. um but I'm excited about it because I'm a huge Wanda fan, and I want to see what happens to her next. That's what I'm most excited about, yeah. I had to do like I was like, oh, that's
0: like I just when you said it, I was like, oh, that's not what I would've thought. And then I realized like, oh, the
1: Wanda connection, of course. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Wanda Diehard from way back <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. Yeah, so I guess we'll wrap it up there. Um, But for now, let's talk about where we can find everybody. And um, I guess, you know, I think I'll start. Uh, You can find me at um, cinemaverick.com. That's my website. I'm also on Letterboxd at the Cinemaverick. Uh, where you can see what I've been watching. I've been very slowly adding reviews to um, my watch list, but I'm currently up to date, at least with logging, so there's that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I guess I can also announce that uh, I was a guest on And the Winner Still Is podcast, hosted by Marissa Carpico and Matt Taylor. Um, Alex had been on, discussing the year 1979 and the Oscar-nominated movies from that year. I uh, have... Well, my episode is out now, which is on the year 1972, which people, of course, remember is the year of The Godfather and Cabaret and other great movies. Um, so if you're interested, check that out there. Deliverance. Yes, eh, infamously Deliverance as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you'll see what the three of us thought of that one. Um, so, yeah, you can check you can check that out as well. Um, I also have a podcast which is now complete called Pod on the Rooftops devoted to the rock band genesis we went through their entire discography uh me along with uh cinema joe's co-host noah france as well as his brother luke so you can check us out there as well that is probably best uh you can probably find that on the that would be the best place to find it um and next i'll go to you alan uh what would you like to plug
2: you can read my super and lowest reviews at tvswarfsdizing.com you can find in my, my soap podcast the chat which i co-host with A bunch of other people on Anchor, and you can follow me on Twitter at Alan Frappa.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Well, and thank you again for joining us. This was really a lot of fun.
1: It was fun. Um, And uh, as for me, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Media Thinkings. You could follow my um, my letterboxed at Media Thinkings as well. Uh, you can follow our show at Cinema Joe's on Twitter. Um, you can subscribe to us on all of the major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Anchor, um, Overcast, all the rest. You can follow my work as a podcast editor for PopBreak.com by heading over to. Uh, Thepopbreak.com and clicking on the podcast tab, there you can see all of the various podcasts that I'm producing. You can subscribe to two of our feeds. Popbreak TV is our TV hub where we talk about reality shows and uh, weekly dramas and uh, anniversaries of, of famous shows that we we really enjoy and also um, our uh, nerdy, blurdy content over with uh, Blurred Watchers, uh, who uh, has been covering a lot of Marvel content for us. So if you've been enjoying this discussion, you might like that as well. Um, and also on that feed is uh, the TV Break podcast, uh, where I am the host and where our fr- my friend and yours, Justin, is going to be coming on next month to be uh to be talking about a variety of topics including Masters of the Universe and the latest Emmy nominations. So uh you could definitely check all of that stuff out over on Potbreak TV. Um another podcast feed that I supervise over on thepotbreak.com is the breakcast feed and over there you can get a lot of podcasts on movies and music and uh anime and uh lots of other stuff like that. So definitely check that out as well.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that, especially with a property that I know almost nothing about apart
1: from the memes. <laughs> so, that would make two of us.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, we want to thank all of our listeners and all of our subscribers here. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, we will be covering some, some let's say, non-MCU movies in the near future, uh, which we hope that you'll also be excited about. We certainly are. Um, but for now, this has been Justin Mancini signing off.